Pastor's Heart. Dominic Steele is my name. It's great that you could join us again today. And uh, look, today we're talking about the public square or how do we as Christians engage in the secular world. And it might be in the media or it might be in social media or whatever forum. Uh, and my guest to help us uh, think that through is uh, Arcus Palo. G'day, mate. G'day, Dominic. Great to be here. Great to see you. Arcus is the CEO of the uh, Gospel Coalition Australia. And um, I mean, I think I first came across you um, Arcos as a blogger, you know, mm. um, and thought, oh, this guy's got depth, he's got thoughts, I can mm. learn something from him. But before you were kind of in the blogging, you were the campus director of AFES at Lismore. Yes. Um, tell us about some of the ministry back then, but then we'll get to Gospel Coalition in a moment. Sure, sure. So I started with AFES in 2010 mm-hmm. uh, as a campus director there, uh, working with students on campus. Uh, it was a great opportunity to spread the gospel and talk to students about the Bible um, and so forth. But um, So I did that for a number of years, from 2010 till 2015. And now the Gospel Coalition, mm. got, and you're CEO of Gospel Coalition Australia, mm. um, what are you guys doing? There's a question to ask the CEO. <laughs> sure, sure. Look, the Gospel Coalition, what we're on about uh, is, uh, firstly, we want to appropriate break down silos between uh, Christians, like-minded Christians, so as to uh, work together more effectively to reach out Australia with the gospel. Mm-hmm. So that's the bottom line of what we're about. And um, we do that in a number of different ways. So um, in a number of different locations within Australia, we've launched some regional chapters uh, aimed at bringing together across the denomination uh, reformed evangelicals to work together, pray together, um, support and encourage one another uh, so as to better reach their towns and cities uh, mm-hmm. with the gospel. We also want to be an, an online voice uh, with our website, similar to what TGC USA is. Uh, many people uh, will know those guys. Um, and especially in our changing world, we want to be a, a, a strong, committed, Christian, reformed evangelical voice online. Mm. Now, um, the public square, mm. um, what is it? What do we mean by that term? Oh, look, a number of different, uh, uh, I guess, ways of answering it. I, I think for me, it's, it's anywhere outside of our private homes, outside of our private lives. So whenever we're in public with someone, we're talking with other people, it could be obviously in the media, but also locally, um, at schools and so forth, um, in the various contexts that we're in, uh, wherever we're engaging with other people in public. That's basically the public mm-hmm. square. And you've had a line, um, mm. we need to play defensively Mm. in the public square. Uh, What do you mean by that? Yeah, certainly. So I think we need, as Christians, to think about a number of different ways we engage in public. Uh, And at the moment, as as you would all know, we've got a number of different challenges that we're facing. Um, It it just feels like it's been a wild rollercoaster ride. I mean, it's been a wild rollercoaster ride Mm. for 30 years, but it just seems like the last 12 months and the last month, it's just kind of been amped up again. Yeah. Absolutely. With the release of the findings of the Ruddock Report by Sydney Morning Herald and the outrage that that's kicked off, and then recently with the um, vote or the vote that's thankfully got knocked down in Parliament on Monday. Oh, look, it's defensively really is to think about the cultural pressures that we're under and, um, you know, looking like legal pressures as well down the track and think how do we as Christians uh, not only survive but thrive in this environment? Mm. Um, for those uh, engaging with us uh, from overseas, uh, we've um, just here in Australia had um, a pretty wild ride, uh, Christians in the public square, the last week 
here, mm. um, and it's been particularly on uh, a debate before the Parliament mm. um, over whether or not um, really churches, theological colleges um, and schools mm. would be, that are Christian, that are faith-based institutions, would be actually able and free to continue to teach what they believe. Mm. And, um, and this obviously has implications for Christian uh, institutions, but also for synagogues, for mosques, mm. uh, people of other faith systems as well. Basic religious freedom. Yeah, yeah. and it's really been on. Mm. Um, now, um, how do we play defensively? Yeah, I think we need to think about a number of things. Uh, firstly, because we're now a minority in our culture, so previously, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, Christianity was fairly much mainstream, at least in terms of our worldview, our ethics, sexual ethics, so forth. That was fairly much accepted across society. Uh, but we've obviously seen a massive shift in the last, certainly in the last decade, in the last few years, it's accelerated, where we are now the minority, not just as Bible-believing Christians, but even just to holding basic uh, sexual ethics, our basic view sexuality. And so that puts us under a lot of pressure. Uh, and as Christians, I think we need to realise that those pressures uh, can do a lot of damage if we don't defend against them. Uh, and the main way to defend against them, or one of the main ways, and I think God gave us the church to be able to gather together, meet together, encourage one another, even as we're pressured from outside culture. Mm, okay. So what mistakes could we make? And, and I guess you, mm. if you're playing defensively, mm. you could see yourself as the victim, you could demonise the opposition. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly one of the mistakes, I guess, if we don't see gathering together as a priority. So this idea that, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to gather regularly with my uh, church, my brothers and sisters, I think that's a real mistake, uh, because at that point you're lending yourself to being vulnerable. Um, Wait, well, when the tide is flowing so yeah. fast in that direction, mm. and <laughs> I'm just thinking, uh, mm. 2 Timothy 3, I've got to swim against the tide, you know, and Absolutely. everything's going wildly against me at that and i just got to hang on to the word and hang on to the people of God. Yes. Um, and I'm only going to do that if I meet with them yes. and meet with him in his word. Yeah. Absolutely. And doing that together as well. Um, it's interesting that God didn't give us the Bible uh, and just say, you know, once a week by yourself, read the Bible and pray. He gave us uh, each other the church as, you know, uh, Hebrews 10.28, I think it is. Um, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but mm. encourage each other. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that's, that's one of the main ways that we need to do it. Uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of dangers, as you mentioned. Um, we can fight fire with fire, as it were, and we can talk about that a bit later in terms of getting outrage the same way the outrage is pointing towards us. Mm. I think that's a real danger. And sadly, uh, I see it online. Sadly, I've seen it in myself as well in terms of engaging so debates. when somebody criticises me, I'm like, I'm tempted to kind of snap back with the same Absolutely. ferocity. The yeah. same ferocity, especially online. Social media is one of those environments where we're kind of put through a sausage machine and we're sort of all our... Um, our ability to filter or to be nice to other people, be respectful, is kind of filtered out from us so that we're just behind a keyboard, the other person is anonymous, and we can just say whatever we want uh, without any repercussion, as it were, or very little repercussion. Uh, and that's, I think, the easy trap we fall into when engaging debate online. Mm -hmm. um, one of the temptations... I mean, you just talked about, if you like, being too aggressive, mm. but another temptation might be to avoid conflict at all costs. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and actually... One of my struggles is mm. I watch, I watch a Christian leader mm. bravely decide to um, uh, to take a stand for Jesus, mm. to to engage in a conflict situation, mm. um, whether it's an archbishop or mm. a moderator or mm. one of the various 
leader people, you mm. know, or even just a, a well-recognised spokesman. Mm. Now, inevitably, they never get it exactly right. Yeah. Do you know, and I mean, we only really watch the Christian debates, you know, but that would be the case in the se- any secular debate. Mm. Nobody actually ever gets it exactly right. Mm. But what I watch happen is all the other Christians, instead of backing the leader, snipe at them from behind. And, and you watch this massive, great social media public discussion in front of the non-Christians saying, well, he shouldn't have drawn the line there. That wasn't exactly the right tone. Do you know, how should me as a keyboard warrior <laughs> behave when I see a Christian leader take a stand, a courageous stand, but I might not quite agree with them. Do you know where I might not quite... Because I'm never going to agree with them exactly because yep. I don't even agree with myself some of the time. <laughs> That's right. We look back at things we have said and we think, well, I, I could have done it differently. I could have done it differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's very important to remember that, as you say, the non-Christian world is watching. The non-Christian world is taking notice. Uh, and so anything we put out there in public will have repercussions. Mm. Um, I think for me personally, unless it's something that is really... Uh, against what I believe in terms of the gospel, um, then I'll be very cautious about calling them out for it Mm. publicly. Um, I just don't know if there's much benefit in doing that. Um, As a blogger, I might put out a post approaching that same issue from a different angle when Mm -hmm. I do that, the Gospel Coalition Australia as well. Um, But unless someone is... uh, not acting in line with the gospel, then I think we just got to be careful about uh, publicly calling them out for it. Mm. Okay. Um, Talk to me about the whole issue of the changing nature on plausibility structures and Mm. beliefs. And and even for some of our audience, what do I mean by that term? What do we mean by that? Yeah, certainly. So a plausibility structure is kind of like social life support for an idea. Uh, So, for example, in our culture today, every culture has plausibility structures that lend support to the ideas that that culture holds dear. Mm-hmm. So, for example, today, um, an obvious one, same-sex marriage, most of the media hold that to be a fundamental human right. And mm-hmm. so you see the media, the media is a plausibility structure. They give social life support to the idea that same-sex marriage is a human right. Uh, you see that now drifting into other areas, into the corporate world, uh, into sporting groups. Uh, I know in Melbourne you have Pride events and so forth around the AFL. Um, and those are, I guess, social support structures um, which help these ideas uh, gain traction in people's mm-hmm. minds. Um, and I think the thing we need to understand about plausibility structure is most of the ideas we hold dear ourselves. It's not like someone gives it to us on a platter, we think through it from all angles and then then say to ourselves, are we going to accept this? Are we going to reject this? Most of our ideas we gain through osmosis, uh, through these plausibility structures. Mm -hmm. So, for example... Rather than having carefully thought out the principles behind them. Absolutely. And so you'll see the shift that's taken place in in society, again, talking about same-sex marriage, is that most people haven't had a deep, in-depth discussion or thought about whether same what same-sex marriage is or what the implications are they've just seen the plausibility structures the media the commentariat uh, people they hold in high regard accepting it and therefore they themselves accept it as well mm-hmm. yeah right um how then do i respond to that um as a pastor sure. as a leader yep. uh, leading the flock that god has given me yep. yeah yeah Yeah, sure. I think as a pastor, you need to remember that your own church is a plausibility structure. Uh, And so uh, making sure that within your own church, uh, particularly if there are ideas in the outside world that are 
corroding Christians' confidence, such as ideas about sexuality, uh, then within your own church, you're giving the biblical ideas plausibility uh, by teaching on them, uh, by modelling them well, uh, by ensuring that other key leaders in your church teach and model them well. Um, And it's in that way that we can give biblical ideas plausibility. I think that's the most important thing we can do. So the the, the accusation comes that Christians are obsessed with sex Mm. because they're talking about it all the time. And now... On one hand, I don't want to be that guy. Mm. But on the other hand, um, you're saying, I do need to be teaching on that subject, um, particularly because it's where I'm, we're out of step with the society at the moment. And so therefore, because it's an out of step point, mm. I need to be teaching on it more. Absolutely. Particularly for young people. I mean, this is what they're experiencing. My daughter's in primary school. She's in year five. Mm -hmm. And already her friends are teasing her about same-sex marriage. So my daughter identifies as a Christian. um, And somehow same-sex marriage came up. Um, She said, look, she believes marriage is between a man and a woman. And her friends started teasing her about it. So it's happening in schools, uh, universities, whether we like it or not. Uh, And so this is an opportunity. And I'm not saying you need to always teach on it, of course, but there needs to be times throughout the year where these topics come up and are discussed. Where there's a robust uh, teaching on the goodness of God's plan for marriage and sexuality. That's right. So our culture gives a very compelling story to people about uh, the sexual ethics that we hold, that our culture holds dear today about same-sex marriage, about the sexual revolution, how that's a good thing, that's a freeing thing from the oppression of church and tradition. Uh, So that's the narrative people are being taught uh, in our culture. And so we need to give a better story. Um, So Glyn Harrison, an author... Uh, he talks about it. Uh, it's, his uh, book is called A Better Story About Human Sexuality. He says we need to actually present God's view of sexuality, ideally in a narrative form that uh, captures people's hearts and minds mm-hmm. um, and, and show why it's not just different from what our culture believes, but better mm. as well. Now, help me on the difference between what, I mean, what you've just said mm. is God's way of life is better mm. than the non-Christian's way of life. Yes. Now, Okay, I'm saying, right, that's a good point. Mm. And it makes sense. Mm. Um, life will go better in the creator's world if I live the creator's way. Do yep. you know? and, and so um, uh, in the end, if I live the creator's way, I'm likely to be happier. Mm. I'm, if I've only got one sexual partner for 25 years, 30 years, 40 years, mm. I'm likely to be wealthier. Do you mm. know, there's... now. What's different to what I've just said to the prosperity gospel? I think we can say to our culture that our actions have consequences, particularly for the most vulnerable. And so when it comes to something like the sexual revolution, I think what we can do is to point out the consequences of the sexual revolution's beliefs and actions. Like where does the sexual revolution's teachings end up? Loneliness. Loneliness, absolutely. Uh, Broken families, particularly uh, if you look at the statistics. Unstable kids. Unstable kids. uh, Rising anxiety amongst kids. um. Whereas if you have a secure family unit, Mm. it will go better. Now, now, here's Mm. my angst, though. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking, I I used to argue in modernity for Mm. truth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Then in post-modernity, well, nobody had a truth. Mm. And and so... um, what am I saying? I've got a relationship with God and it mm. makes a difference to me. Now, mm. in post, post-modernity, I'm running to pragmatism. Do you mm. know? I mean, sorry, I'm saying me, Dominic. Mm. I'm saying the world's thinking is running yep. to pragmatism. Yep. And you've just said, let's do, say this is better. Yes. <laughs> you know? Now, I think, I'm just playing with the idea. I've got, sure. to, I've got to preach the gospel to say, 
I've, I've, got, I've got to say, this is a better way to live. Yes. But, I'm, but I've also got to say, I'm not just arguing because it's better. Yep. I'm arguing it because of the past, the cross, the, the resurrection, yes. and the future, yes. the coming judgment, yes. and eternal life and eternal judgment. And so I'm, I'm not, I am saying it because of the present, yes. but I'm also saying it because of the past and the future. You know, that, do you want to come back at me? Sure. Uh, look, I think when we show that the Christian way of life in all areas, uh, in terms of relationships, sexually, in marriage and so forth, if we can show to people, and I don't think it's hard, if we can show to people that there are better outcomes for people uh, when they live that way, whether they're Christian or not, I think what that does, it is opens up uh, opportunities to talk then about the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a culture now where there's so much hostility, where the dominant narrative is more and more that religion, Christianity in particular, is a force for evil. If we can say to them, look, well, this is what's happened with the sexual revolution, but if you live according to the God's design, uh, this is what happens to people, there's much more human flourishing, then I think that opens up doors to actually share the gospel. Because I think... Um, People need to be convinced that the Christianity is good before they'll be convinced, or humanly speaking, uh, they need to be shown that Christianity is good before they'll then try and uh, engage with, the, with whether Christianity is true. Mm, okay. Let me just play with you on that idea. Yep. Um, you, you just dropped the sentence, um, somebody might say Christianity is evil. So I'll be the non-Christian, you sure. can be the Christian. Sure. Um, uh, Arcos, you're a Christian, mm. Christianity is dangerous, Christianity is evil. Role play it with me. Well, um, and at this point, I'd say, what do you mean by that? What What, what are your underlying beliefs about oh, that? Well, I'm just concerned that um, it just seems like um, the church is against love, and and I believe in love. Sure, sure. And at this point, I'd want to dig deeper and take the conversation upstream, and I'd say, like, how did you come to that conclusion? What makes you say that? How did I come to the conclusion I believe in love? No, that the church is against love. Oh, well... Um, what, against same-sex marriage? Okay. You know? And, I mean, and there's been all these incidents of, I mean, particularly the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. um, uh, not properly looking after children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would hope that the institutional leaders in our country really did look after children well. Mm. Yeah. And I guess what I'd say to that is I think that's where we can find common ground because as a Christian I find that horrifying as well, that the institutional leadership uh, of churches uh, did those things to children. I think that is horrifying. As a Christian I find it horrifying. And I think more importantly I think the Jesus of the New Testament, the Bible, would see it as horrifying as well. So if we had a look at what Jesus actually said about children, about caring for others, the most vulnerable, uh, he'd be horrified to hear that, uh, as a Christian I believe he knows, but he's horrified to see that sort of thing happening. Um, So his followers have not acted that's rightly. right that's right so i think the issue here is that jesus has taught us how to live in particular how to look after children um but his followers uh certain institutional church leaders and certain christians haven't uh followed his teaching which is very clear and i'd be happy to sit down with you and open it up and, and we can look at it but the issue i think there is that they haven't actually followed jesus clear teaching on this mm. okay Posture of grace. Mm. How do we do a posture of grace in these debates, online debates, mm. and um, uh, and I guess, if, I mean, the social media ones, mm. but the the bigger ones, the, the the where you're a leader taking a stand, whether it's um, a church leader in your community, a church leader going to talk to a local politician, sure. or a church leader. We have a lot of people who are ministers in country towns who might write an article in the newspaper. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, the go-to passages like 1 Peter 3.15, which talk about uh, defending our faith with, gospel, with uh, gentleness and respect, I think they're the... Uh, sorts of ways that we need to be speaking, whether online or whether in the newspaper. Uh, and so that means things like that we don't speak in outrageous tones where we don't use the same level of outrage and anger, particularly directed at, at people. So we don't use the ad hominem arguments of attacking people's uh, character, attacking people directly, but we try and stick with the actual issue that we're talking about, whatever it might be. Uh, so I think that's a key thing. Um, um, I mean, I'm just saying that's don't repay. I mean, sorry, repay evil with blessing. Do you know that, that, that's that right. really comes straight out of that verse, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So don't repay evil with insult. Repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And I think that's a good one to stick by your computer when you're on social media. Mm. Um, a posture of grace, I think, will also remember that we. Uh, we, what we're after is ultimately to win the person, not to win the argument. Um, and so we want to be gracious towards other people because I think the New Testament would lend itself to saying, uh, such as in 1 Peter 2.12, that the way we live our lives uh, will uh, potentially open up doors to the gospel. And so we want to live our lives in a way that is gracious uh, and which helps people to uh, remove barriers from uh, looking at Jesus. Um, I, I think most people would see Christians these days, well, not most people, but a lot of people would see Christians these days as judgmental, arrogant, bigoted. And if you can be gracious in conversation uh, towards other people by actually firstly listening to what they've got to say, not attacking them, um, assuming the best when you're talking with them, uh, I, I think that does a lot in terms of breaking down people's misconceptions. And I actually think that's the case in terms of um, the non-Christian might have the perception mm. that... Um, uh, the Christian church as a whole mm. is kind of like this, but the actual experience of their local church mm. um, is totally different mm. um, uh, because there have been personal interactions of generosity, of kindness, of mm. um, the playgroup's been really nice, the people, mm. the, the host people at the playgroup have been lovely, they've cared for me, they've cooked meals for me. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, what about... I've heard you say a line about social media debates, whoever has the last word loses. Mm. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think in social media debates, particularly where it's a long one, where it's a long debate that you're having with someone, uh, the temptation is to always have the last word. The temptation, I guess, put it in another way, is to always, is to try and win. Uh, and I think that is, uh, I don't think that's a posture of grace. That's more a posture of I want to win almost at all costs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's something to be said by having listening to the other person, having your say, but if at the end of the day, especially on social media, you haven't convinced them, then I think uh, be gracious, let them have the last say uh, and leave it at that. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, I guess also mm. in the social media debate... There's the person you're talking to who probably is a polar opposite view to you mm. and you, but you're actually playing for the middle 80%. Do mm. you know, how does that work? Yeah, yeah I think it's a realisation that people are looking over your shoulder and uh, seeing what you're saying and seeing how you're saying, how, how you're saying it. So there's been a few conversations where, uh, that I've been in where people have come up to me afterwards and uh, said, look, you know, I, I appreciate the way you engaged this debate. Not that I do it all the time well, but uh, there have been a few instances where I've, where I've held my tongue in check, where I've had the, let the other person have the last say, and then people have private messaged me and said, look, thanks for the way you engaged this debate. Mm. I'm just thinking, um, I think I've been reticent 
to, as I mean, as a as a Christian leader, um, with a, a a reasonably large Facebook um, friend list, mm-hmm. to get involved in public social media debates, mm-hmm. because I think maybe a third of the my um, friend list on social media and non-Christians, and mm-hmm. do I want to take all of their attention over to this squabble, you know, and so, um, and mm. so I've, I've, I've held back from it, um, whereas, and, and made my posture, um, on Facebook particularly, mm. to be one of commending Jesus, commending this church, mm-hmm. um, uh, now, uh, and then I've engaged in conflict, um, an argument in uh, both um, in in the forum of the auditorium mm. here at church, mm. um, uh, perhaps in the the pastor's heart in blogs and sure. those kind of things. But I'm wondering whether or not you want to um, say no, Dominic. You need to be more on the front foot. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think it's a wisdom issue. I think it depends on what the issue is um, and whether social media is an ideal place to address those issues. Look, in general, I think social media is very volatile. Um, I think it's not the ideal place to have an argument with someone. Um, as much as I think there is a place for debate, I think it's a limited place. Uh, and what you're saying in terms of actually doing it live with people uh, here at the auditorium, I, I think that's actually a lot better. So I think as a general rule, we want to, if we're debating someone, we, we'd want to move the debate um, offline, face-to-face, so we can actually have a conversation with them. I think that's the ideal. Obviously, that's not always possible. Um, but... Again, it depends. I wonder if it's a case in social media for me as I think about my social media engagement. I think part of it is trying to move those conversations upstream, trying to ask questions of people that I'm uh, debating against. Uh, Because often most people, getting back to plausibility structures, most people have beliefs about the world, not because they've thought through them deeply, but because they've just absorbed them from their culture. And so if you could just ask a few questions uh, to help them you know, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, can you clarify what you're meaning? And where did you, how did you come to that conclusion? Like, what's the basis for your uh, belief about whatever it is? Often people uh, will come back to me and say, hmm, okay, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. It's just something I think to be true. Mm. Um, so I think that the social media is best for asking those sorts of questions. Mm. Um, and I remember one guy, young bloke, introducing yeah. God saying, he was probably night four or five or six of introducing God, and he said, well, um, I'm not sure that the Christian worldview is true yet, mm. but I know that my worldview is not stacking up. <laughs> and so I've, I've either got to get take this one or I've got to find a better one. Um, Absolutely. But by doing the several weeks of discussion on introducing God, mm. he'd worked out that he, he'd been exposed in the discussion to all the inconsistencies in his own framework of belief that really was just a hodgepodge yeah um i i watched you go back and forward on a some an interaction a little um with john dixon on the content the issue of losing well Mm. as a christian in the public Mm. square what did you mean by that do you know yeah. Oh, look, I, I wrote a blog post after listening to one of John's podcasts um, and just tried to clarify with him what he meant by the term losing well in the public square. Um, now, look, I, as it turns out, I, I think I agree with what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was more a case of uh, in the public square if Christians are up opposition. Like, I guess I thought to myself, what I understood him initially to be saying is that if there's opposition in the public square uh, and Christians are booted out, then uh, losing well means just to accept being booted out. And I thought to myself, okay, if that's what he means, then I have a few questions around that. Um, now, as it turns out, what he means was uh, similar to what we talked about in terms of um, when we're insulted, don't repay evil for evil, but with a blessing. Um, and we should still engage with the public square, which is mm-hmm. you know, what he does with things like CPX and so forth. Um, so for me, I guess where I've landed with all this is that as Christians, we need to be uh, gracious advocates in the public square. Um, we think back to people like the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, whatever you know concerns we might have about various aspects of his theology, I think his method of public engagement was, well, we're booted out of the public square, but this is a real justice issue that affects the lives of millions of people and we want to actually uh, address this in a um, what he would argue to be a Christian way. We want to uh, stand up for justice for the sake of the most vulnerable and I think as Christians here in this country if we have a vote, um, if we're citizens uh, then we have a voice and I think rather than withdrawing from the public square um, and again I'm not saying this is what John or anyone else is saying but as a Christian I think is we shouldn't withdraw from the public square we should use our voice to try and influence the laws of the land uh, so they align with the Christian worldview. Which uh, is actually going to be a blessing to the country in the end. That's right because it's not just Christians that are going to be affected by it it's also non-Christians. So you look at things like gender fluidity in schools uh, it's not just the Christian students that are going to find that difficult to deal with it's also non-Christian mm. students. Uh, you look at other examples uh, throughout history. So I, I I came from a communist country, you know, a bit of an extreme example. I was born in a communist country. Most of the people that were persecuted under communism were non-Christians. So, and and many atheist commentators uh, have pointed out, such as uh, Chris Berg, um, he's a political commentator, that most of the values that even secular Aussies hold dear, equality, rule of law, um, justice, our idea of justice. They in came the from, end, come from the gospel. In the end, come from Christian roots. Because mm. um, the other thing we need to understand, there is no such thing as secular neutral mon- morality. There's not like a secular neutral morality that rules the public square. The public square, to use a phrase um, that I heard somewhere, is, is a battleground of gods. It's a battleground of different worldviews. Uh, and so at the moment, there's all these worldviews vying for attention uh, in the public square, and they'll be the whatever worldview becomes dominant is what drives our laws and what drives public policy. And so what we want, I think, as Christians is to say, hey, I think the Christian worldview should be in there uh, driving laws about you know things like euthanasia, mm-hmm. um, things like uh, what it means to be a human being, gender, and so forth. Because I think that way of living, the Christian worldview, is actually a just way of uh, living in this world. Mm. Arcos, thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. Arcos Balog has been my guest on the Pastor's Heart this week. Arcos, of course, is the uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Gospel Coalition Australia. And uh, it's been great to have you join us on The Pastor's Heart this week, and we'll look forward to catching up with you next week. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.